This is Focal Point for Thursday the 15th of January 2009. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? Um, well, thanks, Gihan, and Happy New Year to you and all of our listeners as well. Yes, Both Happy New Year to you too. <laughs> That's right. Happy New Year to you as well. This is the, the first edition of Focal Point for uh, 2009, and we are starting a bit of a tradition where last year we made some predictions, and so today we're going to review those predictions, see how well we went and perhaps how badly we went in some of them, and then give you our predictions for the way the Internet and the Internet culture is going to change in 2009. All right, so let's start with some of the things that we said for 2008, Chris. Well, yeah, recapping, the one of the predictions you made was with regard to the growth. You predicted uh, a growth in mobile Internet, and that came true. Certainly, there's been a, a big uptake in mobile devices for mobile internet access. I've seen lots of, I don't have one myself, but I've seen lots of friends of mine, including yourself, have uh, mobile phones that they can use to access the internet. And also the iPhones taken off as well. And there's been a, a new kind of a notebook called netbooks or ultra portables, which are smaller versions of notebooks that are small, light, and uh, can be used to access the internet through Wi-Fi hotspots. And when I made that prediction at the start of last year, I just saw the the rise in the growth of of Wi-Fi hotspots. So you can get wireless access pretty much anywhere now. And I also saw that idea of uh, mobile broadband where people have these little um, things that they plug into the side of their PC or their Mac and they get access to the internet using the mobile phone system. Uh, I didn't predict or didn't foresee the, the huge popularity of the iPhone and, and devices like that where people would be accessing, accessing the internet on their phone to the extent that the, that the iPhone and Google Android phone and the, the new version of the Blackberries allow them to do. Yeah, those those phone devices that give you internet access are quite amazing. They're not as clunky as you would imagine. That, that they've really come a long way from the early WAP phones where things were slow and the screens were small to the current generation where you've got pretty good resolution screens and the access is quite speedy. Um, and a lot of websites like Facebook, for instance, there are versions of them built especially for access from small devices like mobile phones. So it, that's really taken off as a consequence of those kinds of actions. And I think, again, a lot of credit goes to Apple for their, the, the work that they put into design so that you, you get things which, as you said, are not clunky but are still very functional. Uh, and I'm, I'm waiting for the – I'm holding out for the Google phone to come out on whatever, whatever manufacturer provides it because I think that will be another, addition, another great addition as well. Yeah, having a competitor to the iPhone will certainly spur development in, in that area. And, yeah, I don't think we've got too long to wait. There's certainly an Australian um, provider are going to be releasing an Android-based phone sometime this year. Okay. Now, another prediction that you made, Chris, was about digital rights management, the, the idea that when you buy particularly music or, or videos on the Internet, uh, and sometimes even e-books, they're protected so that you can't copy them. And you predicted that before long um, that companies would stop or actually reduce their their you know, overly protective copyright uh, protection schemes. That's right. Digital rights management, or DRM, 
uh, I see as a real hindrance to the uptake of downloadable um, digital content, particularly music. Essentially, it punished legitimate users of that content because it really restricted how you used that uh, that uh, material, um, and the pirates could easily circumvent it. So there, it, it had nothing, it did nothing to really stop uh, piracy and got in the way of legitimate users. Um, and so the retailers like Amazon and iTunes pressured the record labels. And last year when I made the prediction, um, Amazon was already releasing their own MP3 store, which was all DRM-free. And Apple have just announced that iTunes are going to be pretty much entirely DRM-free sometime this year. So that's that was a... And that was more of a hope that I had because I just thought DRM was a nuisance and a hindrance and the death of DRM would be would see a great uptake in people instead of going and buying old-fashioned CDs and DVDs getting down, downloadable material that uh, they were free to use. And I remember from listening to last year's Predictions podcast that you spoke about what you what you predicted was a rise in niche community websites, and I've certainly witnessed uh, a plethora of these kind of websites uh, appearing over the past year. I'm constantly amazed by the kinds of ideas people have had as the basis for um, Web 2.0 community websites. There's just some real ingenious ideas that I've come across over the past year. So I think your prediction about these community-based websites uh, cropping up all over the place was uh, a very good prediction. Good, thanks. And as a as an aside to that, I think that as much as there is a lot of lot more niches, something that we've touched on in the last year a number of times is the idea that the that the users get to decide on the value of content. So it's not just providing the content, but they can rate it, they can tag it, they can categorize it. And in a way, that's kind of the opposite of the niches. So I think that something I didn't predict was the growth of some more general websites, but which have the users creating their own niches within them. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, as you say, that's another important aspect in these uh, architecture participation, not just providing the content, but uh, kind of rating and ranking it, yeah, and commenting on it. Um, yeah, in fact, Chris, I'm working on a project at the moment where we're creating a community website and we want to give people the ability to set up their own playlists, if you like, or their own favorites so that you can go and have a look at Chris Pudney, like what's Chris looking at at the moment, and Chris has the opportunity to put on my favorite things in there. So even though there's a general community website and there'll be somebody overseeing it, in fact, I'll be overseeing it and, and saying here's a, here's a featured um, content for the month. And if people want to see that, great. But also, if they think, oh, I wonder what Chris is up to, they can go to your page and see your playlist or your favorites. Okay. So that that sort of um, distribution of expertise is going to happen more and more. Okay, great. So let's talk about 2009, Chris. Um, we decided The way that we decided to do this when planning the podcast is that we'll each come up with our top five predictions for 2009. And uh, let's, take, let's do them in turns. I was going to preface my predictions by um, perhaps the number one prediction that we're all hearing about, and that's uh, doom and gloom with regard to the um, economic outlook for 2009. So most analysts are predicting some sort of recession or a slowdown. And if that comes true, and, and in some respects it might even be a self-fulfilling prophecy, people sort of psyching the economy into, uh, into a slowdown. Um, if that's true, then a phenomenon that often happens with uh, economic recessions is that people go out less um, and stay home for entertainment, 
Uh, and these days, that means spending more time being online and using the internet. It's pretty much a cheap form of entertainment. And so many of my predictions um, are influenced by, by that, uh, the, the, the prospect of an economic downturn in 2009. That's true. And I'll add to that, Chris, that as you, as you say, people, like consumers will stay home rather than go out. The same is true in business as well. There are businesses who would previously, for example, a lot of my clients are speakers and trainers and they run conferences and training seminars. There will be businesses who won't have conferences this year. They won't have external trainers, but they'll try to do more online training, e-learning. So I think that may see a little bit of growth in 2009 as well. Okay. All well, right. Do you want to start kick things off with your number, your first prediction? Sure. Okay. So now my number one prediction, which may sound a little bit odd, is that I think that blogging is going to have big growth this year. Uh, and the reason I say it's a little bit odd is because it seems like blogging is like three years old, five years old maybe. And it was probably about three years ago that people were talking about the phenomenon of blogging. However, the fact is that most people still, most blogs that are published have one person reading them and that's the person who wrote them. Yeah, that's right. And the reason I think that blogging is going to increase in popularity is because we've now finally got to the point where readers, so users of blogs, people who are consuming the blogs, have really easy tools to use them. In the same way that everybody now has an email program to read email, it's now very easy for people to read blogs. Um, for example, Google has a Google Reader, which is not a separate piece of software. It's just a page that you can sign up on the Google website where you just have all your blogs listed in one place. And you can go there every morning and see what's new in all your favorite blogs. And in the past, I don't think it has been as easy for people to read blogs. Right. And we also have um, web feed aggregation tools as well built into our email clients. So that also helps us keep abreast of our favorite blogs as well. And, yeah, just adding to what you um, – that, that comment, I think you're quite correct. Another form of blogging is um, this micro-blogging that services like Twitter allow you to do. And I think they're a really good – they fulfill, like, the need for uh, – they fulfill a social aspect. A lot of people just like to say, you know, I'm doing the washing or I'm going to the shops – Whereas rather than just blogging about uh, a topic that's important or special to you, just letting your friends know what you're doing through a microblog like Twitter, I think that's, that's starting to take off as well. Yeah, and we should actually talk about that in more detail in a future podcast, Chris, because uh, I know that many people think that Twitter, which is, as you said, microblogging or telling people what you're, what you're doing at the moment, is just a complete waste of time. And yet, there are really good positive reasons why you can make use of it in both your personal and business life. So we'll talk about that in a future podcast. Yeah, okay. Okay, what's yeah. your number one? Well, my number one, well, my first prediction, not necessarily my number one prediction, is the growth in the gaming industry. There's, so this just recently it was announced that Guitar Hero 3 was the first computer game to rack up more than $1 billion in sales. So that's a tremendous achievement and just goes to show that gaming is a growing industry and I think that growth is going to continue. Uh, see my comments uh, that I made previously about staying at home for entertainment. Um, and people are starting to predict that it's going to uh, surpass um, music sales by 2011. Um, and maybe film sales uh, soon after that. So games, online games, and just uh, standalone games. I know you bought a Wii console as well, so console games. I think we're going to see a lot of growth in gaming activity and the gaming industry as a result. Excellent. Good. Okay, well, my number two 
is related again to the to the economy and to the growth of the, the, this whole Web 2.0 upload culture is that I think there's going to be even more stuff that's available freely now because it's now not just a minority of people who have access to the content and who have the ability to publish it. So there's more and more free content available on the internet and people will have to be a bit smarter about how they're going to monetize it. Uh, so companies that set up websites can't just charge for all their information now. So I think a couple of things are going to happen. Um, one of them is that there's going to be more advertising which is going to be interesting because I think that's going to that's going to be affected by the economy. I know you're going to talk about that, Chris. Uh, but secondly, I think that companies that offer a free version are then going to offer you an upgrade to a premium version with at a very low price, but they know that they're going to get many, many users who sign on for the free version. And if they get even 1% of them signing on for the paid version, it's going to be a sustainable business model. Right. Okay. Yep. Well, my yeah, my prediction. I sort of tried to make my predictions uh, similar to yours in terms of the order in which I gave them, and that was uh, because of the recession. Again, we're going to see um, online advertising revenues either plateau or fall. At the moment, they're plateauing. Uh, looking at um, recent announcement of the figures, they're certainly at a plateau at the moment. At the moment, and people and myself included are tipping that uh, during 2009 they're going to fall. So the kinds of techniques that you've just mentioned, so things like membership sites or upselling people to premium services, are going to be, those are the sorts of models that online businesses are going to have to look at with the downturn in advertising revenue. And there's a bit of a domino effect here, Chris. On one hand, we're saying that as a result of people staying in more, there's going to be a growth in the online industry. But, but equally, on the other side of the coin, if, let's say, in the United States, the car industry is struggling, that means that they'll be spending less money on advertising, which, That's again, right. impacts online advertising as well. So in that sense, there will be online content providers who won't be able to afford to run their businesses the same way anymore. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the balance in 2009 and how that all plays out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, why don't you do number three, since I've been starting? Okay, sure. So um, number three, my my uh, prediction is that everything is going to be on what's called the cloud. So what we're going to see is a growth in cloud computing. Now, cloud computing is a relatively new phenomenon, and that's where typically businesses who have online services, in the olden days they used to have, uh, they used to own a computer that was their server. Uh, then that moved on to renting space in, say, a data center, which would host their online services. And now what we're, ha what we're seeing with cloud computing is that the actual services are provided by a third party and a business that wants to provide those kinds of services, they pay for their customers to access that third party services. So that's uh, – and, and again, they uh, in a data center somewhere – on the planet, it doesn't really matter. The the business who is providing those services doesn't actually own doesn't actually own those servers. Yeah, and probably the the most common example of that that will be familiar to most people is Gmail. So Google's mail server, email service. Would that be an example of what you mean by cloud computing, Chris? It's it's the next step up from that, Gihan. So yes, Google Apps, as they're called, is that kind of thing. So if you've got a business and you want to um, have a domain name with an email address and people can send email to it and it'll get to your, your staff, then you can go to Google Apps and you can say, well, we would like um, 
mybusiness.com to send all of its address to your Gmail-like service and then our staff simply log into that and that they can read their mail at, um, which is which is like Gmail, but it's actually their own domain name. And the same, the other things are things like rather than having to give all your staff members copies of Microsoft Office, they can use Google Docs, um, which is another Google service which is providing spreadsheets and word processing and all those sorts of things. So Google Apps is uh, one of the examples of cloud computing, and it's they, there are public versions of them, like Gmail is the email service and Google Docs are the um, Office Suite services, but you can have them customised to be just uh, private access for your own business and staff. And this is definitely a trend, and it's a trend that's being driven by a number of things. One is the, the speed of the internet now, so there's, it's now fast enough that you can access things online without a huge delay. And it's also because... Uh, work is becoming more distributed. Like we talked about the idea that there's people are more mobile, um, businesses are more mobile. So there's there's less and less the concept of everybody in the same business working in the same office. So you need people to be able to access things remotely. And in the past, it's been done by people setting up their private networks. So big organisations would have private networks, mm-hmm. but now it's becoming much more open. Yeah, that's right. Um, so on that topic, Chris, I heard somebody recently say that when Microsoft puts their Office suite of applications, so when Microsoft Word goes into the cloud, that's when that's going to be the tipping point. That's when everyone's going to shift over because until then, people don't really understand what cloud computing means and they haven't quite got a feel for it. But if Microsoft does it, everyone who's on the Microsoft bandwagon will automatically start switching over. Yeah, and I think... Microsoft are doing that and they're they're compelled to do so because if they don't, then people will say, well, why am I paying hundreds of dollars uh, per copy of Office when I can go and use Google Docs for free? So Microsoft need to uh, compete with these free offerings and and also they need to make them available everywhere, which is what cloud computing offers, that uh, you can access them anywhere on the web rather than having to have them on your hard disk on your notebook. Yes. Okay, so my prediction number three is, in in effect, it's the same thing. So my prediction, the way I worded it, was everything will be on your phone. Um, And what I mean by that is exactly what you've just said, Chris, that everything will be accessible from your phone. So it'll be too... It, um, it won't be practical anymore to have a computer sitting at home or in your office with all your data on it, and then you wander around with your phone. And even if and if you've got access to everything through your phone, but all your data is sitting back at home or in your office, it's no use to you. That's so, right. if everything's in the cloud, as you descri- as the, exactly as you described it, Chris, then people will be able to access documents, spreadsheets, um, their databases, their email, everything from their phone. And the iPhone is moving in that direction, and I think some of the other phones that are coming out will be even more so. Yeah, that's right. We've got these compelling devices like the iPhone that you talk about. We've got the improvement in wireless access or broadband access over the mobile phone network. It's still a bit patchy. It's not everywhere. Um, and it's not perhaps as fast as uh, cop- the copper network, but it's catching up all the time. And I think once we get ubiquitous wireless access to the internet, to, to broadband internet, um, then we're really going to be at another level of online, online activity. Okay, so fourth prediction. 
Okay, so my fourth prediction, again, is related to Web 2.0, this architecture of participation, is that we're going to get even more of this, uh, more collaboration uh, with online tools and more of this idea of crowdsourcing, where outsourcing is you send out your work to be done by one person. Crowdsourcing is you send out your work to be done by many people and just take the best of it and put it all together. So things like Wikipedia, which we've talked about many times, certainly have been like that, Chris, and Firefox, the web browser that you and I both use and which is rapidly gaining market share, is something that was built by a user community. So I think there's going to be even more of that crowdsourcing and collaboration. And even companies like Apple, and earlier on I gave Apple credit for their design, um, one, of the, one of the places where I'll criticize them is that Apple has been protective, a very, very closed sort of system, and they want to control everything. So they've been very controlling. So let's say with music, they want to control the whole of the process of you buying, using, listening to music. And I think they've almost been dragged kicking and screaming into the open source and the, the collaboration space with the iPhone, for example, the the application store where people can create their own applications to put on the iPhone. It's kind of a new thing for Apple because in the past, they've been the ones who control everything that goes on their machines. And uh, I think that it's a trend. It's a, it's a way that we're going to the future. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, another carrot in the um, apps store is that the writer, the developer of the app, gets a slice of the revenue from each sale, uh, each sale that's made. And yes, you're right. Apple have had a fairly closed have been a fairly closed entity with regard to development of their their platforms in the past, but and this is one of the one of the um, changes in direction the App Store. Microsoft has been the exact opposite. They've they've opened up. I mean, they've controlled the operating system, but they've opened it up so that people can write software for it. And one of the downsides of that is that you get a whole bunch of software which maybe doesn't integrate well with each other. It's it's well known for having problems because. Um, Anyone's writing software, so, so printers that, uh, printer drivers that don't fit well with the operating system. Um, but the, on the other side, it means that it's become wildly popular as an operating system and lots of people use it. And it'll be interesting for me to see how Apple manages this process of going from a closed company to, to allowing this collaboration and crowdsourcing. And I think also, if <laughs> keep banging on about the recession, but if, if that comes about, there are going to be more people with more time on their hands, and there are a lot of people who get a, who derive a great deal of uh, uh, pleasure and entertainment from working on open source projects such as Firefox or contributing to Wikipedia. And and if you've got more time on your hands and you need to um, develop a new skill, then contributing to an open source project is a great way of gaining experience and skill as well. So we, we might see a, a surge in contributions from crowdsourcing. We might, we might. And in fact, even on a, even from a financial side, there are people who already, and the iPhone's only been out for less than a year, and there are people who are already making full-time income from the sales of their apps in the iApp store. What was your number four, Chris? Well, my number four prediction was uh, just a continuation of the prediction that I made last year, which was that we're just going to see continued strong growth in the Internet population. And that's mainly going to come from the developing nations such as China and India and uh, Asia in general. Uh, that's just an easy prediction to make, Gihan. It's a trend that... Um, continued through 2008 and is going to continue in 2009. Yes, and I think that uh, as, as much as you say it's an easy prediction to make, I think that, that there is a significant 
shift that's going to happen in the next year or maybe two years is this idea of leapfrogging that there are countries that don't need to go through the same process that we've gone through. So, you know, we've got a legacy, um, a pretty good telecommunication system based on landlines, and it gives access to all of Australia, and uh, providers have to you know, provide guarantees that they'll reach everybody that way. But in a way, it's hamstrung us a little bit because it means that we've had to go through that progression. We've had to go through the process of landlines, mobiles, mobile broadband and so on. And now there are developing nations that will have instant access to that technology when they can afford it. And more and more of them are starting to afford it quicker. Okay. Okay. What's your number five? Number five was uh, with regard to social networking websites. So something I've witnessed uh, in the last couple of months is a big uptake amongst my social circle and my own personal use of social networking websites such as Facebook. So I've just seen an increase in behaviour, uh, an increase in uptake and usage of those kinds of websites, and I think that's going to continue. And I think that we're going to see a consolidation of the the, the big networks, like uh, the big social networking websites like Facebook, MySpace and Bebo. They're going to dominate where people go to socialise, but as we're also going to see uh, an increase in the number of and the type of these smaller niche community websites that you predicted growth for 2008. I think we're going to see more and more of that. So the big, the big, the big properties like Facebook are going to serve a social, uh, a socialising um, uh, a service, whereas the niche sites are going to satisfy things like um, hobbies and interests and uh, professional development and those sorts of things. Right, I hadn't thought about the distinction before, but it does make a lot of sense. And there's a there's one site that I've just come across recently, which perfectly exemplifies that. There's a I work with professional speakers, and there is a website called speakersite.com, where professional speakers can go and join, and it's free, and it is very much like a Facebook type community, but with this niche community in mind. And they've all they've set up little groups within that, and discussion forums, and so on, and. I would guess that most of those people are on Facebook as well, and they use Facebook for their friends and speak aside for their colleagues. Yeah, yeah. How about you? What's your, what, what, what's your fifth prediction? Well, mine is actually to do with the explosion of all these social networks. I think there's going to be tools now that will help you aggregate your your content into these social networks. So I get, every second week, I get an invitation to join some network, and some of them look pretty good, but the reason I don't join is because then I think, oh, that's another website that I, that every time I update my profile, so write mm-hmm. a little bit more about what I do and change my offering in my business, that's just another website that I have to go and update. So I would rather just stick to Facebook, LinkedIn, a couple of others, my own website, a couple of others, and then I have a handful of websites that I need to update every time. So it's a hassle to join a number of different social networks. And I think there is going, there are going to be tools which will make that easier for you to have your information in one place and broadcast out to all these networks. So every time you make a change, it gets updated automatically. Uh, okay, yeah, so there's that, there was that initiative that um, Google um, developed, which was like a, a, an API for social networking websites. I can't remember the name of it now. Is it That's right. That's right. They, they were using it with their Orchid site, weren't they? Yes. And uh, that never really took off. It hasn't really because, because like I think like you, most people have said, well, I'm already on Facebook and I'm already on MySpace. 
um, that's serving the social aspect of my social networking and and why do I want to go and waste time somewhere else where not all of my friends can be found? Yeah. Correct. And the, the other aspect of that, Chris, is like we mentioned Twitter earlier. We talked about this, like SMS and the web. There will, there will be tools, and I think there even are tools that do some of this already, where you're sitting, at, you're sitting somewhere in a cafe on your mobile phone. You send, you send an SMS, an actual SMS. It goes, to, it goes onto Twitter. Maybe it goes onto your blog goes onto your Facebook profile to update your status, and all of those things get done through one action. So, yes, you're right. So that single action, not having to duplicate your efforts over multiple uh, social networking websites, is what is that? Is that that's the, the stumbling block at the moment, Gihan. So if someone hasn't developed these tools already, then uh, there's a market waiting to be exploited. There is a market for that, and I think one of the big questions is, it's, it's easy to develop that tool, but I, I wonder how they're going to monetize it, how they're really going to make it a profitable tool, and maybe that's one of the things that's held it back. The second thing is that some of these tools are already cropping up, and some of the social media commentators are saying that that's kind of destroying the whole value of a social network because it means that you no longer log into your Facebook account to see what your friends are doing. All you do is you update your own status. So we may be heading towards a case where... Um, like everyone's contributing and nobody's reading. <laughs> right, okay, yep. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that, that may happen. Um, so on the positive side, I'm seeing this already with blogs. So every time I update my blog, I've set up my Facebook account to show what's new in my blog. I've set up my speaker site account to show what's new in my blog. In, the first, in my first step community, my page shows what's new in my blog. Um, on my, Anyone who signs up, to subscribe to the feed from my blog will see what's new in my blog. So that's the sort of thing where it's easy for me to update in one place and it just spreads it out through the internet. Yeah, and that's because we have an open standard for web feeds and that standard is in place to be to be used for that, that kind of instant update, that automatic update. Yes, yes. And that's so maybe open standards is something that we're, again, maybe on our wish list, but maybe an unrealistic wish list. <laughs> Now, we, we said we were only going to uh, make five predictions, but perhaps we can follow up with a sixth prediction, um, the issue in Australia regarding the government's proposal to censor the internet. What do you think is going to happen uh, on that front, Gihan? They won't do it. <laughs> they won't? <laughs> no, they won't do it. And we, we talked a little bit about this before Christmas, about their plan to censor the internet, and I think there's going to be so much opposition to it that they're going to realise that it's a political hot potato, and if they do anything, it might just be something completely um, minor and inconsequential, like uh, maybe improving the, the filters, that's gonna, the filter software that's going to be available to parents uh, on an optional basis for them to use. I, I can't see them doing what they propose to do. No, and that would be great news if it doesn't happen. We, uh, we mentioned what a disaster it could be. Um, but politicians being politicians, uh, they might, as you say, make some face-saving action. We were just talking about a great uh, TV series, The Hollow Men, where it's all about facing, saving face and uh, looking good to the electorate. So they might need to do something, um, but hopefully it won't be as disastrous as the, the proposal that they made last year. That's right. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and if you don't hear of, if you don't hear about it again, that's because it's been censored. That's right. <laughs> Good. So those are those are our ten predictions for 2009. And uh, again, the first episode of 2010. We'll look back and see how well we did. That's right. Tune in then. 
So while we're talking about politics, Chris, there's a couple of other interesting trends that are happening, and so let's make this the topic of our next podcast. Um, Australia has started something which is like the digital economy forum or something, and there's going to be a new president in the United States, and he seems to be very switched on high-tech and keen to um, bring people on board using online tools and listen to their opinions and so on. It'd be interesting to see how well that goes, and in our next podcast, we'll talk about that. Yeah, let's do. On the face of it, they look really good, but as we know, politicians being politicians, uh, the actual implementation might vary somewhat. So, yes. yeah, a great topic for our next podcast. Great. So thanks again for your time, Chris, and look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks' time. Speak to you then, Gihan. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.